they're, they're looking at Germany. They're thinking what the future of games here in, in London is. Um, you know, do you feel like the map? Yeah. Let me ask you something, right? Before you go there, do you actually think, and, and Evan, you let me know, do you think the NFL's international game plan is going to work? I'm skeptical. I just don't think outside of the U.S. people are ready for the NFL football. I'm skeptical. I see what they're trying to do. I see it. I respect it. I salute it. I don't know if it's going to work. Hi, everyone, and welcome once again to the Sports Pro Podcast. I'm your host, Owen Connolly. Hope you're well. We are going to be looking at the biggest set piece in American sport this week. The Super Bowl is heading to Los Angeles SoFi Stadium on Sunday as we're talking. Uh, and it comes in a period of some pretty big stories right across the NFL. And to cover them, we have the very capable duo of Evan Novi Williams from Sportico. Hello, Evan. Hey, how's it going, Owen? Thanks for having me. Great to have you back and great to have back after uh, a bit of a prolonged absence. CNBC sports business reporter Jabari Young. Hi, Jabari. How you guys doing? Good to be here. Great to have you with us. Um, guys, as, as I say, there's so much to unpack at the moment in the NFL. And, you know, both of you this week of all weeks are going to be incredibly busy um, with all the stories that are going on. But we'll, we'll try not to take up too much of your time but um let's let's start with the super bowl um and some of the big storylines around that it's heading back to los angeles for the first time in a while a los angeles team there haven't been one of those for donkey's years and now uh, not only are there two of them but one of them is playing in a home stadium at a super bowl uh, stan Kroenke's la rams uh, facing off against the cincinnati bengals Beloved, incidentally, of Sports Pro's very own Chris Stone, who you'll hear on the uh, Streamtime podcast from time to time. Um, guys, what are what, what are the big storylines for the game itself? Jabari, we'll start with you. I mean, you know, it, it would have been unusual to think of having a hometown hometown team in a Super Bowl, but this is now the second year in a row it's happening. But this is kind of Stan Kroenke's big vision for the Rams. Um, but... You know how 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 will it all be received? What 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 are some of your thoughts about uh, what we can expect this weekend? I mean, is it really a hometown like team for the Rams? Oh, <laughs> well, there we go. Is it really that? I mean, they use the silent count in the NFC Championship game in their home stadium. I don't think it's no home game for them. But uh, I mean, listen, if I'm Jerry Jones, I feel some type of way, right? I helped deliver that man that stadium. Now he's playing in one before Jerry gets one, and it's like the second time in the last few years the Rams are even there. I mean, it's going to be a good game. You know, um, my fandom cap on, I'm rooting for the Bengals only because I love to see those teams that haven't won or those teams that really win to really even get there in the Bengals' case. But I feel like it's going to be an exciting game. You know, listen, they, the NFL is going to have to get past their, you know, initial PR hit, and Brian Flores is is at the center of that uh, as long as the as well as the NFL, uh, their coaching diversity problems. Um, so, you know, they're going to have to get through that. Ronald, Roger Goodell's going to have to get through that when he talks to it. But – you know, when that game comes on on Sunday, I feel like, you know, it's just going to be a, a good competition. You know, you got two premier quarterbacks, you know, Burrow, Stafford. I mean, it's going to be a pretty good game. If it's a, if it's not a blowout, they win. You know what I mean? Like last year, the NFL, I think they failed to reach 100 million viewers. Um, I want to see if they can get back to that, Pete, you know, to see if now that things are kind of normalized again, if they can get back to that. But I'm, I'm hoping for a very good football game between two very exciting teams. Uh, and in the Bengals' case, again, it would be great for the NFL that they were to walk away to the victorious one. It's funny, Jabari, to hear you say that, you know, think about how Jerry Jones feels. Jerry Jones has also feuded with the owner of the Bengals, Mike Brown, for a very long time about how much money the Cowboys generate for the league as opposed to how little money the, the Bengals generate for the <laughs> league. I think he's probably also livid that the, the, the small town Bengals, the ones that are the 32nd most valuable team in a 32-team league, is also playing in the, in the Super Bowl before the Cowboys. I think there's probably, I think you're right, that he can look at both of these teams and have have his own kind of frustrations about how they got to this game uh, before the Cowboys did. Magic of the cup, as they say in this part of the world. The um, you're you're going to be out there, Eben, during the week. You're not actually staying for the game. We were just talking before we started recording. But what can we expect? It, this is a Super Bowl almost up to full power in uh, one of its biggest media markets. 
Yeah, that's right. And and a lot of the conversation around what happened in Tampa Bay last year, which was a a, a Super Bowl that had a severely reduced attendance, was that oh, well, well, everything will just get pushed forward to, to to next year in LA. This is a brand new stadium. It is adjacent to the league's uh, big new media, glitzy West Coast media headquarters. Um, it's LA. It's it's the celebrity capital of the U.S. There's so much about having uh, the the NFL, or, or maybe honestly, the, one of the biggest entertainment nights of the year happening in LA on kind of the back end of a pandemic. There's a lot of commercialization that is getting pushed forward uh, to right now just because they weren't able to do it last year. Mm. And I mean, I'm, um, you know, betraying my own journalistic instincts here, but I'm I'm in California for a couple of weeks. I land in LA 6.30 p.m. local time, so just after the game finishes. But um, Y'all just uh, rubbing it in, man. I we're not. I'm not going. CNBC has cut travel right now, and so I'm I'm like livid at that. You know what I mean? I assume I'm, I'd be I'm seeing kind you of Dubai. happy because I know my company's trying to protect me. But it's like, damn, this is the Super Bowl. This is LA. I got an invite from a, from this uh, from Beverly Hills. I'm like, I've never been to Beverly Hills before in my life, and now I got to just watch it on TV. This is like, a, it's going to be very tour. I might not watch anything Super Bowl related until the game Sunday. That's how uh, mad I. Well, I'm going to be midair when the game's on, but I will send you some pictures um, from LA when I land. Appreciate that. <laughs> um, but what, I mean, you alluded to it a little bit there, Jabari, but, you know, LA is a, or the Rams is an LA team. What do we think of the progress of, of that project at the moment? It's, you know, this has come, well, this opportunity to win the Super Bowl has come very early in, in their, since their relocation. Um, are they, are they a local team yet, Eben, do we think, or is that going to take some time? Are they, does does the kind of the nature of their move from St. Louis, does that have an impact on their reputation and, uh, and their reception? I think it's going to take some time. Honestly, I'm not entirely sure it matters that much. I mean, it, clearly not having a great home field advantage has not hurt this team all that much. They, they, they've played extremely well in, in the years they've been there. It feels very much to me kind of like what all these leagues are going to experience in some ways in, in Las Vegas, which is that you put a team there and you know full well that there's a an avid fan base here, but there's also a, a lot of visiting fans that are going to circle that date on the calendar. They're going to be, they're going to, that's the away game I want to go to. We're going to do it there. Um, so again, I think right now it's hard to argue that, that moving the Rams back to LA has been anything but an unquestioned success. It is the glitziest, most expensive stadium in in the league it, it helped another team move there again the nfl essentially moved its west coast headquarters to be right next door this team has been pretty good they have done the thing that i think a lot of nfl team nfl wants its teams to do which is they've spent a lot of money they've mortgaged a little bit of the future to get to this game that has been a success i think the nfl loves to see that if, if you kind of put yourself on the line a little bit sometimes that does work out the Bengals, you can maybe argue are kind of the exact opposite of that but in almost all the ways and certainly in the financial ways notwithstanding the way in which the the team left st louis and and, and the lawsuit over that but outside of that i think this has been an unquestioned success at least so far for the league and jabari you know eben mentioned the the new media headquarters for the NFL um, out in LA. You have uh, the Raiders now settled in Vegas. You've got other major leagues um, settling teams or moving teams to Vegas. Um, their SoFi Stadium is well. It's going to have what is internationally its its grand unveiling, but in a few years' time, uh, will be a, a big part of of a Los Angeles Olympic Games. How important is this moment? Um, in reestablishing that part of the world as a, as a real sporting center, you know, I mean, listen, it's 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 in every NFL market. You know, when the Super Bowl comes, it's important. But you know, they had to get back to LA. You know, secondly, largest media market. You know, in, in our country, and you know that again, the, I've been out there. I've seen Evan out there. You know, when we were doing the Clippers, uh, you know, uh, their media uh, availability for their new arena and. You know, I went to the NFL campus, as I'm sure he did, uh, and I saw it you know, firsthand. It's a beautiful complex. It's a beautiful stadium. And listen, that's not even done yet. You know, right? all of development that's going to take place around that area. Uh, you know, Steve Bomber's building his building right there. So it's more to come. 
But I mean, listen, to, to get people on board with what SoFi is going to be, what they envision that entertainment complex to be for this particular event, was it's important. But I, I feel like it's, for the NFL, it's just important to kind of get back online with their premier event and to do it in L.A. for it to kick off like this. Um, you know, it's great. Like I said, I'm sad I'm not going to be there uh, because I'm going to. I'm sure it's going to be a great event. Dre Snoop is going to be there. You know what I mean? At <laughs> stage, so this is blockbuster. It really is. I'm just curious to see the the after effects of it, right? You know, I want to see what the traffic problem is because if you've been to that stadium, it's in the middle of a community. It's like one way in, one way out, and it's going to be hell to get an Uber. Traffic getting to the stadium is going to be hell. I remember when I was out there, and this was just for the Chargers and Cowboys game. My Uber driver was telling me, yo, man, when you leave, you might want to walk a few blocks down in the middle of Inglewood to order an Uber because, you know, Ubers have this ability now where they can see who they're picking up and where they're dropping off if you're of that type of Uber driver, you know, caliber. So it's going to be very interesting to see how people just get around and where the party's going to be. Beverly Hills, downtown L.A., it's just so spread out. But the actual game itself, the actual event being played, taking place at that at that particular complex in, in, in Inglewood, I think it's, it's going to be a fascinating game and i can't wait to read evan's diary to let me know how it was and all the parties i have an unanswerable question here but the nfl spent two decades plus probably kind of using la and the emptiness of no team in la as a way to kind of coerce to pressure local municipalities into into giving big grants for stadiums etc i do wonder if now that now that la is full there's two teams there they're not moving anymore there if kind of losing that carrot a little bit has any effect kind of downstream and again i, I said unanswerable because i'm not sure if we'll ever know but if you think about what's happening in buffalo right now for example where the team needs a new stadium they want they want some public money uh, to do it. I do wonder if if that might be a tidier, easier process for the team in some scenario where LA was still empty, in which they could say, okay, if if you don't let us, you know, if you don't give us a couple hundred million dollars for for the stadium, there's always LA. Once that option kind of disappeared, I do wonder how different kind of the leverage is for a lot of the other teams around the country as they continually look for tax breaks, look for public money for things like stadiums and, and training centers. Yeah, I actually, man, you know, to feedback, I don't know the answer to that either, but I feel like that lawsuit in St. Louis is going to change a lot of people's minds about what happened. Because now I think you had a city in an area gave the blueprint like, look, if you leave us and, and you mess up our tax dollars, we're coming after you. And in the NFL's case in St. Louis, I mean, that was the perfect alignment of politicians who just say stacked up against the league. You talk about the city, the county and the state, all lost tax revenue. All was like, you're not getting out of here unless we get our port, our piece of it. So I think that's going to change a lot. Unless Buffalo's not going anywhere. I mean, they could try to use Toronto and Canada as their possible moving point. Who knows? Something magnificent may happen. But it looks like they're going to have to settle for what they get, you know, and but they're not going anywhere. I feel like now that the NFL is back in L.A., you're not going to see too much expansion outside of maybe MLB, excuse me, NBA, you know, because they're looking to get to Seattle and I even heard Vancouver, but not to digress. I, I, I think that St. Louis case is going to really change a lot of people's minds about just upping and leaving. If you're a pro sports team in any league. Mm. I think it's an, it is a bit of a digression, but it's an interesting one, particularly for us as a, as an international audience. You know, I spoke to Brett Gosper um, earlier this year. He's now in situ as the head of NFL Europe and they, you know, they have a geographic footprint that they like to think about. Um, they're, they're looking at Germany. They're thinking what the future of games here in, in London is. Um, you know, do you feel like the map? Yeah. Let me ask you something, right? Before you go there, do you actually think, and, and Evan, you let me know, do you think the NFL's international game plan is going to work? I'm skeptical. I just don't think outside of the U.S. people are ready for the NFL football. I'm skeptical. I see what they're trying to do. I see it. I respect it. I salute it. I don't know if it's going to work. Please convince me. Is that is that something that that's that's like really going to happen? Well, I mean, Germany, by all accounts, is a bigger market than the U.K. for NFL in general. Um, and the London games have been a success. Whether they've been a success as... You know, the, the perennial question here is, would they move a team to London? It's it's kind of, it's a little bit worn out as a question because I don't think it's particularly likely in the in the medium term. But, you know, there's definitely the demand, even if it's just kind of big event demand to sustain games here in London. I'd imagine that would be similar in a lot of, um, a, a lot of the bigger German cities. And, you know, it might be similar in, in other capitals and other big cities and uh, in other parts of Europe. But yeah, and I mean, they're, 
we're getting way off beat here, but the um, international plan is going to now, they're looking at the marketing, they're looking at tying teams to certain markets. They'll, they'll see how that goes for a couple of years. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting one. But what I was going to ask was about the, the domestic footprint. And, you know, you mentioned Toronto there, Jabari. Do we feel like the map is filled in for the NFL, whether the individual teams kind of want to agitate for uh, for new facilities or not? Do we feel like there is a, a market there now that, that LA is, is on the map and, and Vegas is on the map? I think the one you will continue to hear about is Mexico City. Um, I, I agree with both of you guys. I, I don't. I don't see a team in a, a team permanently based in Europe any anytime soon. Um, I do think that there is a, 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 a an ability for the league to expand the kind of event by event basis what they're doing in in in, in England uh, or in Europe. Sorry, but yes, I think that if you looked at North America, Mexico City kind of feels like the obvious choice here. It is a time zone wise. It is a pretty easy trip for a lot of teams. It's closer than flying to the East coast or the West coast, depending on where they're situated, a growing middle class, a middle class that, that really likes a lot of aspects of American culture, including American football. Um, I think that Mexico city is going to be the city that you start to maybe hear a little bit of rumblings about. And if there ever is a city that can kind of replace LA as the, as the leverage play in, in, in the NFL, I think Mexico city is going to end up being, that city. Um, but again, I think that maybe a long shot 32 is a really nice number. It, the way the NFL is structured right now with two, two, two conferences, four divisions, four teams, each divisions, 32 is really nice. Adding a single one to that can be very frustrating. The NFL, NHL just dealt with this when they jumped to 31 before getting up to 32. Um, but no, I, I think that, yeah, largely, I think these teams have, have, have kind of settled in the places they're going to be. I think Mexico city might be the one, the one city where you maybe see an argument for a team moving or maybe even expansion down the road. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. But my first choice, I think would be Canada. Um, I don't know how, but you know, I feel like Canada, listen, Toronto's beautiful. I've been there. It's cold as I don't know what. And, you know, it ain't the best place, but Buffalo's right there, right? And so, you know, you, if it's in Toronto, you have the ability to go to a different market in Canada, you know, grow your sport there. And again, as Evan kind of mentioned with it, the, a possible team in Mexico City, the time zone isn't a factor, right? Because again, we're talking about a Super Bowl in both Mexico City and in Canada, you know, the time zone wouldn't be a factor for Americans to watch the Super Bowl because that's where the audience is. So um, I, I feel like if Toronto were to somehow get one, I don't know how it would be done because Toronto really, Canada in itself necessarily doesn't really pay for a lot of public, uh, uh, you know, complexes, sports complexes. They, you know, have a completely different perspective against it. I feel like if they can get one in Canada, that would, that would be great for the growth of the league. But Mexico City wouldn't be bad either. And guess what? I will go down there as well. <laughs> And to back up that point real quick, the, the the NFL, as you hinted at, Owen, just recently kind of changed its international approach, essentially giving teams access to international markets all around the world if they wanted them. Mexico was by far the most coveted international market in that process. I think 17 or 18 teams applied for markets and nine of them ended up uh, in Mexico. So it is clear that particularly as the as the demographics of America changes, as the Hispanic population here gets larger and larger, a, a lot of these teams are looking at Mexico as a pretty massive revenue opportunity. Yeah. And NFL, remember, the NFL is also looking at the NBA down there, right? The NBA has formed operations down there, the G League and everything like that. So they have a little guinea pig uh, to kind of monitor to see, you know, how, how that growth is in Mexico City. But that's definitely going to be intriguing. Okay. Something to watch certainly is uh... – as things open up again, when when it comes to international travel, especially um, the, uh, the there are lots of big topics going around in in NFL circles at the moment, and we'll get onto those in just a second. But before we leave the Super Bowl to one side, I mean, what are what are the expectations from a media point of view? Um, as, as do you guys think? Are we is the appetite there? What, what what kind of you know what performance are we seeing commercially from the network? What what are what are the big trends there? Yeah, I think the appetite is there. The the numbers for the NFL have been incredibly good throughout both this regular season and and particularly in the playoffs. 
individual games are just so hard to predict because you get a team up by 30 in the, in this, in the third quarter and everybody turns off and, and turns out 80 million average viewers. And that's horrible number for NBC. You get a game that's a, a nail biter and goes into the overtime and suddenly has 115 million people average on, on NBC. And that's a great number. So yeah, I think in, in from a, from a performance standpoint, it's always hard to tell, but NBC sold 30 second spots here. Some of them for $7 million. That's a, a record. Uh, it is clear that, as the shifting kind of media consumption habits in the U.S. happen, as, as more and more people get rid of cable, as more and more people stop watching TV in general, the NFL continues to be the most bankable, the most reliable entertainment property on television, not just sports, entertainment property on television in the U.S. Uh, and that has continued, or even, if anything, they've cemented that that position even more this year. So yeah, the, it, it's a weird one right now. NBC has both the Winter Olympics that are going on right now and in the middle of the Winter Olympics also has also has the Super Bowl that was by design. They wanted to kind of have those two together. Uh, but yes, I think if you're a partner of any sort with the NFL right now from a media standpoint, you are extremely happy with the way the league has performed and also extremely happy that you are involved in any capacity uh, with the league right now. Yeah, and of course it's a different different set piece altogether with the halftime show Jabari and uh you know some big names of I don't want to say yesteryear we're all in our 30s here I think on this podcast but certainly some big names that we'd all be familiar with on that bill um you know how how do you think that the Super Bowl is developing as a as a, a media product as we move further and further into this digital era I mean, I, I agree with Evan 100%. You know, we'll, and, and listen, the final numbers, we'll see. As long as, as I kind of mentioned before, it's, long, it's, not, it's not a blowout. Um, you know, we saw last year what happened with Kansas City and, and Tampa Bay. That game wasn't necessarily the most competitive, and it got to about 96. You know, listen, if it's under 100, <laughs> it's still better than any other, you know, sports franchise. The NBA ain't mm-hmm. pulling those type of numbers. The NHL certainly is <laughs> not, and MLB's not. So, I mean, I just hope that the Chiefs and – the Bills wasn't our Super Bowl game because that was so exciting. As long as it stays close, I think everybody gets their money's worth. As long as there's no mishaps, I think everybody gets their money's worth. And if so, then everybody walks away happy and starts to look ahead to, you know, the NBA All-Star game and obviously March Madness, the next two big events uh, coming up. So, um, again, my, my number is 100. Uh, we'll see what happens the day after. But if they can't get to 100, I will say, damn, that's two straight years that you have yet to eclipse 100 million viewers. What is the problem? But again, if it's if it stays close and it's a competitive game, I, I feel like everybody will tune in. I mean, I ain't got nowhere to go. I'm, I'm going to order a pizza and, and watch it. So I, I'm going to be one of the many. A lot of people have, have wondered how the legalization of sports betting kind of state by state has, is going to affect ratings and New York, one of the biggest states in in, in the U.S. and one with a, a massive sports loving population, uh, just recently launched about about four weeks ago here. So this will be the first Super Bowl televised that has uh, legal sports betting uh, on your phone in New York City in, in New York State. Um, so yeah, as more and more states come online, that that I think in some ways kind of helps bolster the numbers as well. And one thing that everybody always says about sports betting in terms of fan engagement is that it's one of those things where it maybe helps bolster if the game is bad. If it's a blowout, there's still people that have live bets in, t- in play. There's still people that have prop bets in play. You can still win if, if the guy you bet on to score a touchdown scores in a, in a blowout game. There, there's ways in which the legalization of sports betting, I think a lot of people feel like might help offset the, the, the way in which a, a game plays out. Uh, so yeah, there, there's certainly a lot of trends we're going to be, we're going to be seeing here. And then Mark, I'm paying attention to that too. Cause I mean, if you look at, where sports betting was, I believe it went down over the last two years, right? In 2020, it was about $6.8 billion. Apparently, that was projected to be bet on the Super Bowl by American Gaming Association. And, and last year, that number came down. So I'm curious to see what their projections are. And I believe they're coming out sometime this week uh, about how many people they think are going to bet to see if that number increases back to where it was you know, two years ago or if it comes down again. And I think that'll be a very uh, a telling thing. Well, a lot to look out for, and I think we might get your tips at the end of the podcast as well. Um, but plenty else going on in the NFL. Uh, we've got a lawsuit, a possible takeover, a rebrand, and a retirement happening all at once. Uh, and we'll be covering those just after this. Hope you're enjoying today's Sports Pro podcast. Before we carry on, just a few quick notices. Sports Pro is heading to New York, New York for its next in person event. The Sports Pro OTT Summit USA is going to be leading the sports broadcast disruption. 
at City Field on the 8th and 9th of March. There's still time for you to join the conversation there with a lineup of 80 speakers. The full agenda has just been released. You can check it out and register for your pass at sportspro-ottusa.com. And then SportsPro Live is back in person for the first time since 2019. We're going to be heading to the Kia Oval Cricket Ground in London on the 26th and 27th of April. First wave of speakers has been announced. You can find out much more at sportsprolive.com. And if you do go to the website before the end of February, there's an offer for 30% off all passes, which is pretty good. So do hurry along for that. Finally, if you're not able to join us in person, then you might be interested to know that SportsPro's free and interactive virtual event series are back up and running for 2022. You can learn about the SportsPro Insider Series at sportsproinsiderseries.com or if digital broadcasting is your thing, check out the SportsPro OTT Series at sportspro-ott.com. Hours and hours of on-demand content available from both of those as well. So, lots going on in the world of sports pro events. Tell you what though, lots happening too in the world of the NFL. So let's get back to today's pod. Welcome back to the Sports Pro Podcast. Uh, only one game in town this week, Jabari, but certainly not only one story in town when it comes to the um, NFL. Brian Flores, who is a former coach uh, of the Miami Dolphins, has launched a lawsuit that could be pretty significant for the future of the league. Um, what can you tell us about that? One, one of the basic details for people who are uh, not covering U.S. sport or not following U.S. sport as uh, as intently as you might be. Well, you know, listen, uh, I think the news is big enough where everybody saw what happened. You know, when you have Brian Flores, who is, you know, filed a class action complaint. Um, you know, alleging that the NFL's, uh, you know, their, their hiring practice amongst black coaches is just not fair. And then you have a bigger issue where he's alleging that an NFL owner paid him to lose, which would be a violation of uh, the sports bribery you know, law. It's a federal law. Uh, so a couple of major things happen in one class action suit um, or a class action complaint. I feel like, you know, the, the next step is we'll hear what Roger Goodell says. I think that is going to be a very interesting. There was a memo that was, you know, uh, obtained that we saw him, you know, talk about the issue uh, amongst teams. But I feel like, you know, once he's questioned by guys like Evan, who's going to be at the Super Bowl, um, you know, we'll get some more further clarification as to how this could go. March is when, uh, you know, the hearing happens between the two parties. So we'll find out more there. But I mean, it's interesting. If you have more NFL coaches who join this class action suit complaint, then I feel like it might be a major problem for the NFL because now, you know, listen, lawsuits are the most expensive way to resolve a business dispute, right? That's that's what it is. And there's a lot of uncertainty involved. And if you get to a point where you have more coaches come forward, you might be talking about a very interesting trial if it gets to that point. And then you're talking about a very interesting payout. And if you get into a payout talk, you know, situation, then that's coming out of the owner's money. It's coming out of the league's pocket. And, you know, at that point, maybe we'll see some, you know, response but or some change. But until that point, um, I think Brian Flores, he's going to have a tough task. You know, these are a lot of things that he has to prove. Uh, the NFL still has to respond. Right. So, you know, you have to be fair and, and see what they say. Um, but they have a problem. Right. We know this. They have a problem because they created a Rooney rule for the problem. They have a problem because every year the report card is issued and we see how many black coaches there are. We see how many black CEOs and team presidents and executives there are, right, compared to just the amount of uh, black players, which everybody seems to, that's the criteria that they match against. Hey, you have a certain amount of X players over 50%, but yet under 10% uh, or above right there uh, amongst all the other, you know, uh, jobs or positions with throughout the NFL at the league office too, because even though they're trying to make change, you look at the league office numbers, you know, uh, if you go back to the report card of 2021, which the university of central Florida releases, the league office has problems. So, you know, they have problems and I, I feel like, I don't know how you change that. I don't know how you get team owners to decide or, or to, you know, sway their thinking of as to who they hire. Um, at that point, you walk in a dangerous line too, because they should be able to hire whoever they want. Uh, but again, it's it's an issue. It's a problem. Uh, and, and I'm looking to see what this lawsuit does to resolve that problem. And if it just ends in a settlement and everybody walks away, then I think all of this just would have been theater and headlines. 
Mm. I mean, it, it is an, uh, a fascinating development because, and a very troubling one for the league, because as you say, there, there are measures in place um, that are much discussed and, and, you know, people talk about copying them in, in other competitions and to some extent they have in, in different countries. The dissatisfaction that it speaks to, however far this lawsuit progresses, um, seems pretty powerful. And it's come in the same season as the email scandal uh, involving John Gruden at, at the Raiders. Um, you know, is this a classic case? I mean, does the, the, the NFL need to be enacting some pretty significant changes here, regardless of what happens? Do they need to start um, addressing some of these concerns head on rather than being seen to be reactive in this case? I, I think that they do need to to make changes. I, I think it's kind of, in some ways, unclear what the what the league itself can or, or should be doing here. I think a lot of people would argue that the Rooney Rule, which in, in its simplest form essentially says you have to to interview candidates of color for for head coaching and for and for other leadership positions, a lot of people would tell you that that is actually a a, a bad policy. Not only is it not helping, it's actually making things worse by making teams think about minority candidates. Oh, as as this thing I have to do. And, and as a separate kind of group of candidates, as opposed to uh, as opposed to someone who is kind of on equal footing, um, the, the obvious truth here is that we need NFL owners to change the way that they think about hiring. And whether it is up to the league to figure out some kind of change to the Rooney Rule or something that is going to force them to do that is, in some ways, kind of putting a bandaid over a much bigger problem, right? Which is that they need to change the the, the way that that a lot of owners and a lot of organizations actually think about candidates of color. And and again, I'm not sure if there's anything, any any perfect Rooney rule change that is going to make that happen. Uh, I'm sorry not to interrupt you, Evan. I mean, I, 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 I think, the, and you're absolutely right. They, you can't, I don't know how you, you know, tell a person or try to change their thinking, but you can introduce them, right? And I feel like, you know, when you have these owners meetings at the NFL, that maybe you this is a time, especially in the offseason, where you get a lot of black candidates together and you introduce them to these people and have like a networking, have a uh, uh, that type so they can know these people, right? Because a lot of it is about exposure. A lot of it is about introducing these people here and not having to rely on media, not having to rely on, you know, uh, a tweet that says this assistance dame or this guy's getting a lot of love. This guy's getting, I mean, that's all the game that's played within our industry. And Evan knows all about that. But I mean, when you get people in the room and networking, and I feel like that's when you create the opportunity because now that owner has a, a he has a, a personal connection with that black assistant coach or that black head coach. You know, he has a personal connection with that black executive that he was possibly bringing in. He that 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 executive, that coach, they can then, you know, kind of sell themselves first impression to these people. Right. Who are making doing the hiring. We have these type of events every year, especially out throughout journalism, where everybody gets together and you introduce. And so I feel like things like that will help. You're not going to change people, but if you introduce them, if you make them exposed to these candidates a little bit more instead of the NFL, I'm sure owners just rely on the NFL's list. Okay, who's next? They got to get out and meet these people, and I feel like that will help change. And you also want to see the new people come in. The new owners is coming in. Guys like David Tepper, speak up, talk. You know, get these guys that's in the same room as you on the level of being more diverse within your entire organization. I feel like maybe that sparks change. It doesn't happen overnight. And the Rooney Rule was only incentivized. It helped, you know, was went through incentive incentivized programs last year. That was only installed like recently, right? Where their teams get draft compensation uh, if they were to make hire. So let's see how that plays out more. But I feel like, again, create networking opportunities. And I feel like that may uh, change a little bit of what you see from the coaching numbers. The interesting thing in there, I think, Jabari, and you're, and you're totally right, is that the, the NFL, from like a cultural standpoint, is probably the most uh the most cutthroat business in terms of looking for competitive advantages out there it seems very clear that there is a competitive advantage right now in the NFL if you're willing to consider candidates that a lot of other teams are just overlooking or not even bringing in to the room you would almost think or hope that in, in even if for all the other reasons that, that that people should be considering a lot of candidates of a, of a big diverse background just the mere fact that there is a competitive advantage to doing so might convince uh, some people. And, and and the fact that that is not happening, I think, says a lot. If you look at the numbers, I, I, someone said this to me the other day, and I, and I trust him, so I believe it's true. I think about 20% of all NFL coaches win a division title, and it's an even smaller number that, that, that win multiple playoff games. The NFL is really bad at hiring coaches. 
whatever the system is right now, it is not working. And and you would think again, that in, in a, in a business that is this cutthroat, that is this much about finding individual competitive balances, it should be very clear to the NFL that whether it's a diversity thing or not, whatever the process is right now for hiring head coaches, teams are really, really, really bad at it. And, and this seems like a very glaring example of something that could maybe be changed very quickly that, that might actually produce really, really tangible on-field results as well. Well, however this is resolved, I think one of the things that it does underline is just how much power is entrenched uh, among those 32 NFL ownerships, ownership groups, owners and ownership groups, um, which is just about the only segue I could think of to take us from this topic to the news that the Denver Broncos... Uh, could be up for sale. Are up for sale, yeah. Big news for Hank Scorpio and Homer Simpson. Um, what what are we going to learn through this process, Eben, about where the NFL is at? I mean, you guys do a lot of work around valuations of major league teams in, in the US. Um, what are we going to learn? I mean, people say, you know, our NFL team's too big to be sold, which is uh, is is quite the quite the conversation starter. Yeah, I think we're going to learn. How, if we've hit that point or not, NFL valuations have soared so much that they're, they're worth way more than than teams in almost any other league. The Broncos right now, people are expecting around $4 billion. The way the NFL has structured its ownership rules, the ownership rules around team sales, someone needs to put down 30% of that price. So if we're working off of the $4 billion, someone needs to put down $1.2 billion in cash. Uh, that, that person is allowed to borrow about a billion dollars from the, from the credit facilities. So uh, that leaves, you know, that, that's $2.2 billion. That leaves another $1.8 billion that they either have to have themselves or find minority investors to put in $1.8 billion to own a, a, a non-voting or, or, or non-controlling stake of an NFL team. It is a lot of money. And, and there are a lot of rich people in the U.S. There's not a lot of rich people that have that much liquidity. It's just not that common. And, and especially in a world now where so many of the uh, of the billionaire class and multi-billionaire class in, in the U.S., people who are investors, they're, they're tech CEOs, these people got rich by deploying their capital in smart ways. They didn't get rich by putting <laughs> $1.2 billion in cash in a bank account. Uh, so the NFL is going to learn very quickly at what point it is – is a team worth too much? And and I don't think the, the Broncos are are there. I think they're going to have one or two groups that are serious. And in the end, some kind of a bidding process that ends up at a number that they're comfortable with. But at some point, the league is going to go to sell a team and it's just going to be too expensive for the pool of people that are interested and have the cash. Um, and it, could that be the Broncos now? It could be. And, and I think that's the thing that fascinates me most about this is that the, the last team that sold, NFL team that sold was the, was the Panthers. People around the league thought the number was going to start with a three. David Tepper ended up buying the team for $2.3 billion uh, from a number standpoint, a, a really under, uh, underwhelming result. And I think there was some kind of panic in, in NFL circles after that transaction happened, thinking about, okay, do we have to rethink the way that, that, that our teams are structured, what we require from a, from a controlling owner in a sale process? And, and as you know, Owen, um, and, and Jabari definitely knows, that a lot of other leagues are dealing with this problem by allowing private equity funds to invest in, 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 in portions of franchises. The NFL is the only of the major five leagues in the U.S. to say, I don't think we need to do that yet. So, so they have chosen to address this problem by, by much smaller kind of micro changes to their ownership rules, as, a, as opposed to the big ones that other leagues are doing. And this Broncos sale is, is, is going to be very telling and whether those, those rules need to be tweaked much more significantly than they think they do, or if joining this very exclusive 32-person club is still such a draw that some of the richest people in, in the country are willing to, to park a lot of cash into the asset just to join it. Yeah. It's a really intriguing one, Jabari. I mean, we had a version of this debate. Um, well, we've had a version of it throughout the year, really, with, with the Premier League. Uh, you had the breakaway, European Super League breakaway attempt last year, which did involve Stan Kroenke, among others. And, and one of the um, uh, one of the lessons of that was that some of these owners are just in a position where there are not many buyers who are going to uh, take them out of the picture. So they, they do retain an awful lot of power. Um, obviously, U.S. leagues a franchise, so it's a slightly different set of dynamics. But you know, as Evan says, this this could be something that it won't happen in the next year, but it could be something that that tells us a bit about where the NFL goes in over 10, 15, 20 years span when it comes to ownership. 
Yeah, yeah. And Evan mentioned private equity, and I I just published something on that. And one of the questions I was asking around circles is, hey, is this the time? And, you know, you get some indication that the Broncos sell might include a little bit of private equity. So the owners could bend the rules so they can increase the valuation of that team. Because, listen, if they get four billion, that means theoretically that all the other teams go up. Right. The stakes go up around all the other teams. So at that point, the Cowboys, I think, are worth, what, six billion now? If they Broncos sell for four, if I'm Jerry Jones now, I'm looking all around the league like, look, then my team's worth eight. So this is, you know, and, and then they just signed that new TV deal. So this Broncos uh, transaction is going to be very telling. You know, as, as Evan alluded to, I, I, if they can get to the four billion number and somebody even toss five, I thought that person was sick. But I mean, they toss it out there. If they can get to that number, it's only going to help the other teams in their valuations. And that's going to I mean when, when Steve Ballmer, when he bought the Clippers and, and the NBA, NBA signed that new TV deal, look at what happened to their valuations. And, and I feel like the NFL is in that same boat. The Broncos, whatever, whoever buys it, it's just, they're getting a great asset because it's an NFL team in a great market. Um, you know, but again, if they can draw that amount, it, it's going to be definitely a game changer. It'll be a new U.S. record. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens with the other teams. Well, someone's once said owning the Denver Broncos is pretty good. Uh, Owning the Dallas Cowboys is better, though. <laughs> it is, yeah. Um, the uh, let's let's tie it up with a couple of um, uh, I don't want to say less consequential stories, but but you know different different tenor to these two. Um, Washington football team has a new name. Jabari, I, sh- I saw that you wrote a column on this. Uh, you were moved enough by the fact that your your preferred uh, your preferred choice wasn't taken. Um, what do we make about the Washington Commanders rebrand? It's whack. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, just, it's corny. You know, I mean, listen, I, no disrespect. Jason Wright is a cool dude. Doug Williams. I mean, if you guys saw the reveal on 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 the Today Show, I mean, Jason pointed to Doug. He didn't want no part of it, you know. And and then Doug was like, "We're the command." And then Jonathan Allen was next to him. And, you know, I mean, it's not original, right? San Antonio had it, you know, when they were part of that whatever football league they were with, you know, AAFF, AAF. Um, but I mean, it, it reminded when I heard the name, it kind of reminded me like, what is this? An episode of Power Rangers? The, the Commanders? What, what's the mascot look like? Like, what, what is this? So, I mean, I mean, listen, I'm not a fan, but again, I'm not a Washington football fan. You know, I'm I'm from Philly, and I don't cheer for 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 the the Commanders. I just felt like, you know, as I wrote, you know, you go back and touch your past, make something fun. Red Hogs, to me, was a fun name. Not everybody probably likes it, but, you know, you could have called the new stadium that they're building, you know, the Hog House. You know what I mean? The nickname, the Hog House. <laughs> you know, you have the, the branding opportunities with the pig noses. You know people are going to dress up as a Hogettes and then come to the game dressed up in skirts and, you know. So I felt like you could have touched a very fun part of your past. Uh, and flipped it into this new age of you know branding and and fun, but you know I mean they went to the safe they went the safe route and with the commanders I get it you know I get it it's not the worst name in the world but I mean if you were looking for something that was going to be like knock them out you know this is going to be great I just commanders just seem like ugh, this seemed kind of wet to me it seems so appropriately NFL <laughs> uh, just like safe and conservative lowercase C like it just, this just seems like it was going to be the result all along was that they were going to end up with something that was severely underwhelming but was not going to be forcing anyone in the league to think outside the box about this stuff and I and I think about it kind of in in, in comparison to the Seattle Kraken the newest NHL team which chose a mythical sea creature that doesn't even really exist, but it's a a huge octopus and they chose crazy colors and everybody loves the uniform and they got so much praise for kind of doing the thing that, that I think people assume that sports teams will not do, which is, which is take the kind of semi riskier, but maybe something that's really going to be embraced by the local community Uh, and the NFL again, not, not that I'm surprised at any, at at any of this, but, but the NFL obviously chose to do kind of the exact opposite. And look at what the brand, see the Kraken is fun because I'm a big Pirates of the Caribbean guy, right? So I can, I haven't been to a game yet, but I would imagine he got to use that scene from Davy Jones, right? Where he's like the Kraken, like that's (laughs) dope to me. That's fun. That's getting people engaged because Pirates of the Caribbean was a big movie film. And now you got an element of that added to your franchise. You know, that's thinking outside the box as Evan kind of, Evan kind of said. So I, 
I mean, like I said before, it's going to grow on us, right? I mean, you know, I've already seen some Twitter thing going around where they issue the little cloths that they give out called the comrades, you know what I mean? The comrades. But, I mean, you know, I, I just felt like they played it. And listen, it wasn't even a reveal by the time that they did it because the helicopter <laughs> zoomed in and ruined the whole moment. So, you know, it, it was kind of, you know, I, I downplay it. I don't, I didn't like it, but I mean, we'll get used to it. You know, just like we got used to the Washington football team name, which was kind of interesting because if you look at a poll from the morning console, there were people who felt like they just keep the Washington football team name. Just keep it. We're already, you know, we, we like it and then we're already there. So, you know, like I said, it's, it's, it's interesting, but uh, it'll grow. It'll grow on us yeah, and, and yeah. we'll forget about it. I was going to say, how likely do you think it was that they would have considered sticking with Washington football team? You know, MLS culture, I guess, has not pervaded far enough into the American mainstream that uh, that people would have just gone with FC or FT or whatever. Uh, you know, listen, Washington, Washington football team was boring, too. But it you it it grew on you because it was just here for so long, right? And we just knew it as oh, watch the football team. And even got the WFT, right? We we kind of got used to that branding, and so it's like, why do you touch it? Keep the colors, right? Make it just a Washington football team. Nobody needs a mascot anymore, right? But if you're gonna do the mascot, if you're gonna do the the the, the name, the nickname, have some fun with it, like the Seattle Kraken did. Don't do the Commanders. <laughs> I, the defenders were even a popular. I like the defenders too. I like the defenders. The Lego presidents. That was that was kind of whack too. But again, I, I just wasn't sold on the commanders. But the Washington football team, I felt like if they'd have kept that, it wouldn't have been the worst thing in the world because you could have introduced that as, hey, listen, this was a brand. We didn't want to change it, but people grew on it. They like it. It's going to grow with us, and it could have kept it. So if they went in that route of keeping the Washington football team name, I would have been fine with that too. Yeah, we'll leave that section there. Although I feel like we should make it. A recurring segment on the podcast, Jabari, because you're so <laughs> passionate about it. Um, before we before we wrap up, there is a very significant departure from the NFL this year. A little bit surprising, um, given that he went out almost on the highest of highs. But um, Tom Brady leaves the league after 22 years. I don't think we need to talk too much to his achievements or his standing in the game. So I guess the, the question... You know, what does it do to the league to have someone of that profile step aside? Is it kind of is it kind of quite good timing? There's this, you know, new class of uh, of, of quarterbacks coming through. We've seen three or four of them um, at the business end of the playoffs. You know, is, is this an opportune time almost for, for the NFL to, to have um, some more leaders step forward? Yeah, I think it's a good changing of the guard. I think it's a great thing if you're Josh Allen or you're Patrick Mahomes. I think it it, it suddenly makes you one of the one step higher up on the ladder of, of most uh, of most marketable and well known quarterbacks. I think one of the things that and, and there was so many gushing port- portfolios and profiles of uh, of Tom Brady, but I think one thing that people maybe actually underestimate about his impact. I'm not sure we will ever see an NFL player that has the kind of off field popularity and impact that Tom had. This is a league partially because they wear helmets, partially because the the team brands are so strong. Athletes themselves don't have kind of the cultural currency that NBA stars have. It's kind of rare to have an NFL player that is kind of that ubiquitous, that well-known Peyton Manning certainly reached that level. Tom Brady reached that level. Also, I'm not sure if we're ever going to have an NFL star uh, as crazy it is because of how popular and how and how wealthy and, and, and how prominent the league is, I'm just not sure we're ever going to have a, an NFL star that is that commanding as he was. We had Kevin Demoff, the, the president of, of the Rams, on our podcast this week. They're making a big push in China. He's like, look, we have the only Chinese-American NFL player ever, Taylor Rapp. Tom Brady is the most popular person in China by a long shot from an NFL standpoint. Tom Brady had had reached that level where – even if you didn't grow up in 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 Patriots country, there are so many people that were just fans of his because of how good he was. I, I'm not sure if we will ever see that again. So it, it's great if you're a, a young star. There's just more room for you in the NFL, and Tom Brady is not there. Uh, but I do wonder if, if if everyone who is maybe trying to aspire to reach the level that he did, if they're in the NFL, if they're just always going to be going to be coming up short. It's also great for the Atlanta Falcons too, right? He's out of there. Um, you know, to, to piggyback off that, I, I think, you know, Evan's right. Uh, I don't know what, what, you know, the NFL is in a great position. I don't think their ratings are going to get, you know, at all impacted. You know, there was a narrative that when Peyton Manning left, that maybe it kind of dipped because Peyton was such, you know, a popular figure. 
Um, you know, listen, over the last two years, I actually think Tom Brady repaired his his image and his brand because there are a lot of people who didn't like Tom Brady when he was with New England, right? You had the deflate gate and you had the fact that he was just attached to the evil empire that is known as the New England Patriots. And I think a lot of people didn't like him. You kind of like respected him because look what he did. But over the last two years, I felt like being in Tampa, I felt like that rebranded him. Like he was known as the fun guy now. He was doing more commercials and, you know, he, hey, the subway. Hey, I'm Tom Brady. Like, I mean, and then the fact that he won the Super Bowl at his age, everybody took their hats off and said, you know what? Salute. That's the go. You know, and so even if you hated him, he reached that Jordan like status where you were like, damn, I got to just cheer for him because. It's Tom Brady. Like he did what he did. So I felt like leaving, you know, New England and going the last two years and and um, he couldn't probably predict that he was going to win a Super Bowl. But since he's done that, that helped him uh, with, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that stint down there. And so now as he walks off in, into the sunset, you know, I think he'll always be a part of our living room and a part of our football lives because of, of what he was able to do throughout his career. And again, the last two years helped him. Yeah. And it's a, a question that a lot of sports are going to face in the next couple of years. You know, you've got uh the, the big three in tennis and, and serena williams and you've got um you know messi and ronaldo and just players lebron people who have because of medical science and maybe better lifestyles are just playing deeper and deeper uh into into their 30s and early 40s so it will be yeah interesting to see how um how how popular media kind of creates new heroes in uh, in the years ahead guys we are gonna have to call it a day ourselves it's been a, a lot of fun uh, catching up with you guys on all things NFL. Before we do sign off, let's let's get a take from each of you. Who have you got on Sunday? Who wants to go first? I got the Bengals. I'm taking the Bengals. Oh, well, I go the opposite then. I guess just create some controversy. <laughs> I'm going with the Rams. Uh, home team gets to gets to stay in the hotel that they're familiar with on on game nights. Gets to be in their locker room. Um, I actually think that that maybe actually matters a little bit. Um, yeah. Give me, give me the, uh, give me the chalk favorite. Hey, I'll take that. Well, let's just hope that sport is the winner. I'm going to miss the whole thing because I'll be midair. But um, <laughs> guys, um, oh, and you're going to be the winner because the, you're going to land, and there's not going to be a single human being. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, that's right. <laughs> it's going to be the fastest LAX landing you've ever experienced. Let's see. And, and can I, can I change mine right fast? I'm not rooting for the Bengals or the Rams. Let me. Just, I'm rooting for a good football game that's not a blowout that gets me to the fourth quarter, last minute, and just if you're going to use my time, entertain me. And I was entertained with the last few weeks in the NFL. If, if it's a blowout, I don't care who wins because you're wasting my time. I just want to see a close game, a good one. All right. Great note to end on. Uh, this has been a good time, guys, but we're going to leave it there. Thank you to Jabari Young. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. And to Eben Novi-Williams. This was fun. Let's do it again. Let's indeed. Uh, thanks to all of you for listening. The Sports Pro Podcast is published by Sports Pro Media and your producer is Jack Darcy. We'll certainly be doing this again very soon. Bye-bye.